0: Uh, our listener support campaign continues. You can support the show on a one-time basis uh, by going to support.greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're going to do another Twice Told tale special, and we're going to start off outside of the detective genre with an episode of a series that I absolutely adore, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, which follows the adventures of uh, ship's captain, Philip Carney, as he travels around the world on his ship, the Scarlet Queen. And we'll play an episode that actually became the basis of a Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar story. But first, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Uh, the original aired date, February 18th, 1954, and the title is uh, Queen and Pistols and the Dealer on King George Road.
1: Log entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen. Philip Carney, Master. Position: 36 degrees 9 minutes south, 153 degrees 17 minutes east. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks: Departed Sydney, Australia after involvement in British law. Reason for involvement: the Queen Anne Pistols and the dealer on King George Road. We spent three days in the bustling harbor of Melbourne on our run up the eastern Australian coast to Sydney. We put a general cargo into our holds, and by sunset of the third day, we were ready to cast off and clear port on the ebbing tide. My chief mate Gallagher bawled the crew out of their quarters go and put them on the horses. I started the motor and turned back to give the go ahead to two crewmen standing ready to heave the gangway aboard. Hey,
2: Captain! There's a late visitor to
1: come aboard! An undernourished-looking character in well-worn tweed stood on the dock near the gangway. He was waving a paper-wrapped box in my direction. Hey,
3: Captain Carney, old up. I've got a package I'd like to take you to Sydney with you. You'll be paid well. All right, bring it aboard. Thanks, Captain. <laughs> I'm Leonard Bonny, Captain. I learned in the shipping office in the Nick of Times how you was journeying to Sydney. Oh, did you clear the package through the office? Oh, yes, here's the papers. Uh huh. I'd express it, you know, but they handle things so badly, and I'd like to have it delivered personally. To who? Oh, uh, an antique gun shop at 272 King George Road, Sydney. Broke the fat gent named uh, Arthur Worthing. He'll pay you handsome. That's fair enough. What is it? Yeah, just a small box, Captain. But, uh, have a care. holding a brace of 18th century pistols, and if the truth were known, Captain more than one murder has been committed not only by them, but over them. (laughs) Well, pleasant voyage, Captain. Pleasant voyage.
1: And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen brought ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. The address in Sydney that Leonard Bonney had given me was easy to find, but except for a sign and a few dusty weapons in the window, the establishment behind it looked more like an office for rent than a gun shop. Well, good day, sir. Hello, you Arthur Worthing? Yes. I'm Philip Carney, master of the Catch Scarlet Queen. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Mr. Bundy telegraphed me to expect you. The package. Sir. Yeah, here. It is. Are you a fancy alarm, sir? No, nothing fancy. Yes, sir. Two masterpieces from the shop of James Freeman Norwich, circa 1705, sir. Perfect examples of the early gunsmith's art, sir. The box he opened was leather-bound and satin-lined. Fabulous item, sir. The two pistols that nestled in it were graceful flintlocks with ten-inch forged barrels, upon which were engraved a coronet, and the name so faint that I couldn't make it out. These pistols kept in fashioned during Queen Anne's reign. Yeah, well, I'm glad I was able to get them to you. Yes, uh, tell me, what do you think of the price of them, 20,000 oh, pounds? as long as I'm not buying them, it's all right with me. <laughs> Indeed, sir. A shrewd return. Yeah. Now, your payment. Considering the outlay of personal time and interest, shall we say the equivalent of $100, sir? Oh, no, that's more than enough, worthy. Indeed, but, uh, there's a purpose behind my generosity. Oh? You're perhaps not familiar with the uh, plots and counterplots of those who haggle over objects of extreme value. Secrecy is a most valuable adjunct. Do you follow? No, Ah. I think so. That's why the pistols were shipped with me. Exactly. Now, if I were to step from this establishment, sir, to make the final transfer, my adversaries would become immediately aware of the presence of the Queen Anne pistols here in Sydney. Oh, and since I'm a stranger... Exactly. Mm -hmm. Your movements would mean nothing. Captain Carney, I will double the freightage price, sir, in advance, if you will carry the pistols upon the final crucial leg of the journey. Well, where do they go? <laughs> Splendid, Captain. Here you are, sir. Slightly more than the original figure. Mm, yeah, looks about two pounds over. You want change? Bosh, sir. Hack fare and perhaps a splash on the way. Here's the address, Victoria Drive. Large residence, a bit too ornate for my taste. On the left flank as you approach it from the east. Now, I'll be able to find it. What's the name? Mister and Missus Jack Rollins Hartford. Ask for either one. But give the pistols to nobody else. Yeah, and the money for them, that 20,000 pounds? Ah, uh... uh, sir. The collection of that is up to me. Tell them that either Mr. Bonney or myself will contact them at the earliest opportunity. Agreed? That's oh, fair enough. Oh, and one thing more, Captain. Yeah. You will be followed and watched, sir, until the delivery has been completed. <laughs> Oh, Mrs. Hartford?
3: Yes. What did you want? I'm
1: here to deliver this package to you. Oh,
3: thank you. Mm-hmm. Can't remember ordering anything. Who is it from?
1: Uh, Mr. Arthur Worthing.
3: Arthur Worthing? I don't know any o- Oh, no. What's
1: the matter?
4: <sighs> no, you, you... You couldn't.
1: What's the matter, Mrs. Hartford? Aren't they the right one?
4: Estelle,
1: who's this man? What is he? Good Lord, no. Where did they come from? I brought them. Estelle, hey, go up to your
3: room. No. So, no, so Jack, I want to know... What does it mean, Jack? What does it mean?
4: Quieter still. Go up to your room. But
3: Jack, it's important that
4: I know what all this means. You've
1: got to tell me. Now, sir, what do you want? I don't want anything. I was paid to bring these pistols up from Melbourne. I got them from a man named Bonnie. it, Bonnie. He's here in Australia. That's right. I delivered them to a man named Arthur Worthing down on King George Road. Then he hired me to bring them out here to you.
4: Who is Arthur Worthing? I don't know.
1: I took it that he knew you. That you wanted to buy these pistols. That's what he said. And what is the sales price? It's 20,000 pounds and they'll contract... 20,000, that's impossible. is insane.
3: Oh, wait a minute, Hartford. What's the 45 for? Go back to Bonnie and your Arthur Worthing. Tell them the price is too high for either of us. Tell them I'm reporting your visit to the police.
1: Now get out. That's a good idea, Hartford, but after five minutes in this house, I don't need an automatic to make me want to leave. I didn't bother with the leather-bound box, but I scooped up the Queen Anne pistols shoved them into my belt, and took the shortest route back to Arthur Worthing's gun shop on King George Road. I should have saved myself the anger I'd built up on the way. The place was not only locked, it was empty. And Arthur Worthing's sign had been replaced by another that said, Office for Rent, Enquire Number 13, Grove Square. I decided not to. I went back to the Queen and tossed the pistols into my desk drawer.
2: Gallagher! Hey, Red! Captain Cardi, the tip in the next cruise corner shore.
4: Oh, okay, caller.
2: I hope they have better
1: luck than I did. No good, sir. Rotten. Everybody's nuts in this port. Now you're lucky to be aboard. Hey, yeah, I may have a visitor or two. Give me a hail before you let him on, huh? Okay, sir. I looked the pistols over, but I couldn't find anything that would make them worth either 20,000 pounds or the trouble of a mysterious disappearance. They were just what they looked like, a pair of old pistols. Under a strong light, I did make out the engraved name that I hadn't been able to read when Worthing showed them to me. It was Hartford, as in Mr. and Mrs. Jack Rawlins Hartford.
2: Captain Carney! Yeah? let like visitor's bearing
1: down on it! Okay, Caller! I stuck my head out of the companionway far enough to see a familiar, undernourished figure in ratty tweeds making for the gangway. All right, color let him aboard. Well, Mr. Bonnie, come on in. What I had in mind, Captain, I want to talk to you. You got that wrong. I want to talk to you. Come hey, in. Nah,
3: nah, nah. what's all this? I
1: looked at too many guns today to let you keep one that I don't see. You
3: let go of me.
1: Sure. They'll feel a lot easier about one another with this Webley out in the open. All right, sit down. All right, all right. What makes those Queen Ant pistols so important, Bonnie? Well, there's
3: them that like old things, you know. Worthing well, told you that was worth 20000 yeah, and
1: more from what I've seen and heard. You shipped those pistols up from Melbourne with me and then arrived a few hours later yourself. Why? Because it wasn't healthy for you to arrive together?
3: Blimey, you've got an head on your shoulders, haven't you? Now, why don't you use it, matey? Harper didn't take them pistols, so you must still have them. What about handing them over? No. Yeah, no. What do you want, Chum, a share for yourself? I might, but first I want to know how I can keep myself clear. I don't
1: know why, but I know they're hot. That puts me in a bad spot. How do I know the local bobbies won't be calling
3: on me? Come to think of it, I don't suppose you do know, do you? $200 of Worthing's money in your pocket for bringing the pistols and calling on the Artfords. I don't suppose you'd like it if they did. Now, would you? Huh? Especially considering the stories Worthing and me would tell about you if we was pinched along with you. Who rehearsed you in that pitch, Bonnie? And where is the fat boy? Oh, he's waiting, patient, at the hotel. Fetch the pistols, Captain, and we'll go far. Without the pistols, Bonnie. I think I can talk louder if they stay
1: right
4: where they are.
3: Who is this? Bonnie, I broke the captain.
1: Well, Captain Bonnie. So, we meet again, Captain Carr. Yeah, we meet again. Come in quickly. Hey, yes. now the pistols, sir, give them to me. I didn't bring them. What's that? Well, in heaven's name, why not? What do you hope to gain by working at cross-purposes? I don't want to gain anything. I just want to break even. I want to stay clear of the law so my sailing won't be delayed. If I can do that by keeping those pistols out of sight, they stay where they are until I leave. Then I drop them over the side. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, sir. I may as well tell you. The pistols are of no consequence whatsoever. Off a mo now, Worthing. They were important enough, right enough in London when first we talked about coming out here with them, uh, weren't of they? Of course
1: they were, Bunny. Of course they were. But now they've served their purpose. The Hartfords have seen them, my boy, and now they know that we are close upon their heels. We put the fear of the devil into them. Now, Bunny, it only remains for you to collect the money.
4: Yes,
1: the end of the path, Bonnie. So you see, Captain, you may have your precious pistols. Yeah, I see quite a few things. Blackmail, huh? Of the grossest sort, sir. But intricately and patiently contrived by Bonnie and me, so that now its profitable culmination is at hand. We will be handsomely paid by the Hartfords to keep secret a murder of which they are guilty. I think we need them pistols. Nonsense, my boy. They have no consequence. Eliminate them from your mind. And I guess that leaves me out, isn't it, Worthing? I can go. huh. To clear yourself with the police, indeed you cannot. You value your ship's schedule too highly, sir, for me to allow you your liberty now. Now, we finish. finished. We brought in some sharp focus. Now, ah. see
3: the captain has come bearing arms, money. whilst I'll control him with my own. Right you are, and with pleasure, too. All right, you can save yourself the trouble. Well, I'll just have a look to be sure. No tricks now. I hope the judgment will hold you in check, Captain. If he does not, I shall be forced to
1: kill you. Upon my word, sir, I mean that. Save the threats, Worthing. Get this punk off of me. He's not carrying anything, not even a blade. Uh, What now, Worthing? Unless you really want to use that gun, don't push me too hard. Oh, come now, Captain. Change your ass. I said what now, Worthing? I'm afraid, sir, that your ship is an ideal rendezvous for a final meeting between Mr. and Mrs. Hartford and myself. My ship? The city of this size? How far am I supposed to let you drag me into this? Surely, sir, since you have no choice, one more step is hardly a point over which to argue. And I to be alone with you. Perhaps you will find your chance to attack and overpower me. What do you think of that, sir? Maybe it'll be worth it. <laughs> hold on now,
3: Worthing, hold on. Where will I be while this here meeting's taking place?
1: You, Bonnie, will be right here, waiting word for me. When you receive it, you'll go straight away to the Hartford residence, where they'll be waiting for you with the initial
3: payment of our 20,000 pounds. The game is won, my boy. Right you are, Worthing, and a long one it's been, too. Yes, indeed it has, Bonnie. But a splendid quest. Now the Alphids will be waiting for my phone call. Ready to purchase from
1: us a peaceful future for themselves. Power, Bonnie. Power as is held by few men. The power
4: to deal in freedom.
1: Indeed. More than that. The power to sell life itself. In here. In the cabin here, if you please. Captain I are waiting. Oh, well. Mr. and Mrs. Hartford later for Our powers meet at last. I'm out wedding. You don't know me, but I assure you yourself. You remember Captain Carney, of course.
3: Oh yes, quite.
1: Yeah, they probably do.
3: Yes, will you remember the captain?
1: I'm afraid I have distressing news for you. News directly attributable to Captain Carney's interference. He has gained possession of the pistols. Steadfastly refuses to part with them. He's a thorn in my side.
3: Do you expect sympathy from us, Mr. Worthing? I
1: expect nothing from you, Mrs. Hartford. No more than your uncle, the Marquis of Hartford, could have expected from you had he known your true thoughts before you had him murdered. Are you lecturing, Mr. Worthing? You're planning to profit from the same death. Yes, Quite a profitable death to everyone, but the Marquis. His estate is fortune to you, and to the others of us who nibble at the edges, a small share. Even to the captain here, some $200. If I do anything with it, I'll post it as a reward on your head, Worthing.
3: <laughs>
1: Indeed, yes, I believe you would, sir. Dead or alive, no doubt. Oh, never... All right, cut this short, will you, Worthing? It's too wretched a diet for me. I'm going to be sick any minute. Yes, yeah, you are. Well, now, Mr. and Mrs. Hopkins. We both understand the terms that Leonard Bonnie and I have decided upon. We will maintain complete silence in regard to your responsibility in the matter of the murder of your uncle the Mark of Hartford between 6 and 7 p.m. Greenwich mean time, October 8, 1945. At which time, according to the knowledge shared by all of us here, a killer hired by yourselves did shoot said Marquis today. Understood.
3: How can we be sure of your silence if, as you say, Captain Carney refuses to
1: give up the pistol? Yeah, have you thought of that, Worthing? <laughs> indeed I have, sir. Unfortunate, but of minor importance. The theft of the pistols, according to your plans, was to be the generally accepted motive for the murder. And give their great value. Uh, since they did indeed disappear. But, why worry, who, who would correlate them with the true story, except us? We could never be sure. My word will be kept. But that blackguard bonnet, I... I readily admit, I don't know. The proof of your guilt lives with him. He may decide that he needs more money one day, but... Yes, well, back to the matter at hand. The cost to you, Mr. and Mrs. Hartford? Twenty thousand pounds. Five thousand of it to be paid tonight to Bonnie, who will meet you at your home. The rest is in the next seven days.
3: Well, I... I don't see how that's going to be possible. <laughs> oh,
1: come now. It must
3: be possible. Let's just spend the rest of your days in the murderer's cage. Surely rather than sacrifice the gracious life you've now. I, I don't know. The time is so short. We'll manage still. There must be a
1: way. We
3: have the five thousand.
1: Bonnie will arrive at your home soon after you do to collect.
3: But now Captain Carney has heard the story. Now you don't
1: think for a minute that it was by accident, do you?
3: But he knows. What good is buying your silence when first he knows, then someone else, and then someone else? I can't stand it. I tell you what. Tell. Tell. what
1: Mr. Harper. <laughs> there's no reason to fear. Captain Carney's knowledge. I have my own plans for him. You'll not use his knowledge. You may be sure of that.
3: I shall <laughs> see to that myself. Take an hour and go to meet Bonnie. <laughs> yes, come, Estelle. Right, yes. We'll go and meet Bonnie. And now, Captain
2: Carter. No! I hit him.
1: I'd waited for the first show of carelessness in him, and it came as the Hartford left the cabin, as though a whole attitude dropped from him.
2: Tommy, wait! <laughs> you fool! Wait! Wait, oh, Worthing! wait! Stop! Oh, wait. stop, stop. Oh, oh, wait. Worthing! Why not? You're off! Oh. Oh. stood
1: over him, looking down at the red trickle from his flabby mouth. I started toward the companionway with my keys out and ready to lock him into the cabin while I headed for the law. But I stopped. Because I suddenly realized that he'd done nothing but try to keep me from hitting him. I leaned down and pulled his collar loose. He hadn't even tried to use the gun on me. I decided to find out what I could myself before I nursed him back for questions. The wallet in his hip pocket held nothing but money and a card with his name on it. His inside coat pocket gave me a week old receipt for the weapons with which he dressed up his fake gunshot. I patted his side coat pocket. Down at the bottom of the right one, I felt a thin rectangular object. It was inside the coat lining. I got my fingers into the seam and ripped. The object was a card set into a plate of transparent plastic. It had his picture and his fingerprints. And it said Arthur Worthing, Special Investigator, Homicide Bureau, Scotland Yard. Mm-hmm. All right, come on, Inspector Worthing.
2: Come on,
4: huh? Here, drink this. Yeah. There, boy. Uh, rather strong. Uh, well, sir.
1: Uh, I must say you're a splendid ally, Captain Carter. Yeah, it would help you know if your allies knew they were allies instead of pigeons. Yeah, take another drink.
2: Yeah. pigeon indeed. That's
1: it. You know, Captain Carney,
2: Hmm?
1: I've been posing as a blackmailer for so long that I scarcely knew what I was myself. I couldn't shed my disguise in front of you until the last details were sorted and sliding in the direction of final solution. You didn't by any chance drag me down here to the ship just so you'd have a witness for the Hartford's confession, did you? Yes, Carney, you are the alert. I may yet need your statement. Now, we must go. There's work and bloodshed before us. You said us. I did indeed, sir. Did you have in mind our stopping the Hartfords before they commit another murder? Or after? That's an odd question, sir. Not since this is making sense, it isn't. Not since you baited Hartford with the idea that Bonnie was the only one that could prove them guilty of murdering their uncle. And impeccable truth, sir. Yeah? Bonnie is the one they hired to kill him. Uh Uh-huh. Good oh, heavens, sir, do you suppose they may attempt to silence him by fatal methods? No more fatal than the 45 Hartford pointed at me. If we don't get there in time to stop him. Well, now, the suggestion does bring to light an interesting possibility.
2: Huh?
1: If, sir, if, for example, the Hartfords are apprehended at the scene attempting to murder that miserable little cutthroat, Leonard Barney, then, sir. The Crown would have legal grounds to retry the Halfords for the original murder of the Marquis, would they not now?
2: <laughs>
1: By Jove, I believe you've hit the nail squarely on the head, Captain. I think you hit the same nail when you palled up with Bonnie and talked him into coming out here with blackmail in mind. You do, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I think I can get there in time to save Bonnie. Why not? i not make a sporting proposition of it? We don't have much to work with for sport. Oh, well, we have you, sir, and me, sir. You unblemished to race to the Hartford residence. On the other hand, myself, overweight, oh, unable to run, able only to hobble to the nearest telephone and give Bonnie his orders and summon the Sydney police to meet you at Hartford.
4: Is it a contest, sir?
1: <laughs> Physically, I don't know, but psychologically, Inspector Worthing, you're a devil of a tough competitor.
4: <laughs>
2: Indeed. Well, thank you, sir. But take me a breath. The race is not yet run. Here you are, driver. Thanks, champ.
1: Good evening, dear. Yeah, good night. I dropped my cab a half a block down from the Hartford address. When I got abreast of the grounds, I left the sidewalk and straighted through the shrubs. I kept my eyes and ears open for sight or sound of the police, but I didn't spot any. There was a light in the library where I'd been received earlier that day, and I angled over toward it. Suddenly, in the faint glow from the street lamps, I could see a swarm of uniformed figures slipping silently toward the house. I don't know how worthing time, but maybe he'd ordered Bonnie to spot me on the sidewalk before he went no, inside. No,
3: wait a minute, Hartford. Through the
1: window, I could see Bonnie standing rigid with fear. Hartford was at ease, holding the forty-five in a steady hand. I started to run, still hoping I could stop him. Don't,
3: Hartford. I'll give it up. Wait a minute, Hartford. to England. Hartford, you'll never get out. Hartford! <laughs>
1: Inspector Worthing only once more when I took the Queen Anne pistols to him and watched him wrap them for shipment back to the Hartford estate in Norwich, England. By three that afternoon, we'd battened the hatches over a new cargo and headed out of Sydney Harbor into the Pacific wind. And make It had been an Australian holiday for the crew, and they scrambled to their stations with all the verve of eager cadets. Let's
2: stop a chase!
4: The snap the sheaves groaned, and the mainsail was muscled aloft. The jib went out. Then
5: the mizzen,
1: and the Scarlet Queen rolled lazily out toward a westing sun. Well, Kepper, she's slow, but she's easy. Yeah, we move when the wind does, Red, but it's all right with me. A nice port, Sidney. All it? right, lay off. Well, you should have taken a nice, easy, normal
6: approach with me. Yeah, what'd you do? Oh, <laughs> dinner. Found an American movie, a couple of bars. And then a nice, wide hotel bed.
2: <laughs> it took it really easy. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's the life. Uh-huh. What's the matter? What are you looking at? Your eye. It's puffed and the black is showing through that stuff you got on it. Quiet night, huh? Oh, uh, <laughs> does that happen? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure, Red. No trouble at all. Yeah, well, I'll tell you about it later. What a brunette.
6: <laughs> oh, what the devil... What a port for if they aren't for stirring up a little land trouble when you hit them? That's a trick I never learned not to do, Red. Well, we got a nice, snug
1: home to run away in. To the Queen, Skipper. To the Scarlet Queen. After you, mate. After you. Log entry The Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind light, sky fair, sea calm with easy cross swell. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Mutual invites you to sail into further adventure on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen next week at this same time. Porto call, Singapore. of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher and tonight featured Barry Kroger as Worthing Tony Ellis was Bonnie Ann Stone as Estelle Eric Snowden played Hartford and Ray Kemper was Kohler The Scarlet Queen produced by James Burton is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman
0: Welcome back. The one thing that does stand out about this episode is that Gallagher just does not have a lot to do. Uh, Now, if you've never listened to the series before, that may not seem meaningful, but Gallagher really was a major character. And, Part of the fun of the series is watching them work together, react off each other, and relate to one another. So it's odd to hear that totally absent here. This may point to the fact that while this is the earliest uh, available version of this script, that it may have been used before or submitted uh, before for a detective program. And I could imagine quite a few this could work for, including the half-hour Man Named Jordan episodes. I'm really just glad to bring you an episode of Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. It's one of my favorite old-time radio series, and I've not figured out a way to fit it into anything else that we do. It's not a detective program. It's an adventure program, and there are too many episodes to do on the amazing world of radio. I do think if people do want us to do, like, a weekly old-time radio adventures program uh, in the future. This would probably be the first series that we do. Well, now let's go ahead and see how this story translates and gets changed when it goes to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, November the 4th, 1950, and this one is The Queen Anne Pistols Matter. It's time now for Edmund O'Brien as...
1: Johnny Dollar. Hello, Dollar. This is Carter down at Tri-State Insurance. Yeah, I've heard of it. How are you, Bill? Fair. Listen, we have a vice president down here who has an idiot cousin selling insurance for us in New York City. Well, he's done it again. You call me for advice or sympathy? He just sold a $15,000 policy covering a pair of antique pistols for the trip from here to a buyer in Boston. Well, some of those old weapons are worth it. Well, these must be. That's why I want you to see that I get there. According to this, Leonard Bonnie, who brought the pistols this far from England, somebody tried twice to steal them. That we learned after he bought the policy. Would you take the job? Okay, Bill. And uh, when can I talk to this Bonnie?
5: He's at the doctors, but he'll be back in my office in an hour. Doctors? Yeah. The last time the thugs jumped him, they put a knife through his arm. <laughs>
6: Edmund O'Brien, in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny
1: Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Tri-State Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, William Carter. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment on the Queen Anne Pistol matter, Expense account item one, $1.75 cab fare from my apartment to your office, where I was introduced to Leonard Barney, a tallish, badly proportioned man whose pasty complexion was just a shade darker than the sling that supported his left arm. Well, it's a pleasure, Mr. Dollar, a pleasure. Thanks. You, uh... You've had a pretty rough go of it. That's right. And it's the truth that I'm glad to see somebody else taking the responsibility. You uh, might tell Mr. Dollar about these attacks on you. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to, Mr. Carter. The first time was in Liverpool before I boarded ship to come across. They came out from between two buildings near the wharf, three of them. They handed me a whack on the bean, and that's the truth. And before they could lay another hand on me, I raced off. Did you have the pistols with you? Oh, no. And I didn't have them in New York when another gang attacked me. They almost killed me with that knife. The pistols
5: are here, darling. Would you like to see them?
1: Yeah, I would. Here, here, I'll uh, open the case. The box he opened was leather bound and satin lined. Two pistols nestled in it graceful flintlocks with 10 inch forged barrels upon which were engraved a coronet and a name so faint that I couldn't make it out.
4: They're from the 18th century, they're worth 10,000 pounds as a collector's item. Where do they go? Oh, to an antique
1: gun shop at 272 Medford Street in Boston. The proprietor's name is Arthur Worthing. He's a British chap. He wears spectacles. You'll recognize him. Will you be coming with me? Me? <laughs> I don't think, no. I've had enough. I'll stay here and wait word for Mr. Carter that the pistols have got their safe. Oh, no. I've had enough. The rest of the rundown was given to me before I left the office. Leonard Bonney had been hired as a messenger by the seller in London who had explained the value of the guns but had not mentioned any potential danger of attempted theft. With that information and the pistol case tucked into a corner of my luggage, I made arrangements to leave. Expense account item two, $9.75 airfare and incidental expenses between Hartford and Boston. The address on Medford Street that Bonnie had given to me was on the fringe of the retail district. There was a sign, and there were a few dusty weapons in the window. Good day, sir. Hello. Are you Arthur Worthing? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. My name's Dollar. I've been hired by the tri <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Bonnie telegraphed me to expect you the package, sir. Uh, I see you have the package. Yeah, I have it. Uh, this is a day I have long anticipated, sir. Uh, Ah, there. Two masterpieces from the shop of James Freeman, Norwich, circa 1705. Sir, are are you a fancier of arms? Nothing antique. Oh, that's a pity, sir. A pity. Fascinating study. These pistols have quite a remarkable history. Fashioned during Queen Anne's reign and gave service during one of Europe's blackest eras. Yeah, they're pretty. But I like mine with less history and more shocking power. As might be supposed, sir, the English gunsmiths prospered during those stirring times, profiting by the constant demands for muskets and pistols to supply the good Queen's armies in Flanders. Ah, is that right? Well, I have a paper for you These weapons, sir, rode through the campaigns at the belt of an officer raised near Norwich... And if the truth were known, sir, more than one murder has been committed not only by them, but because of them. Uh, Tell me, sir, were you followed... Not that I know of. Uh, If I could get your signature on this release, I... Oh, just a moment, young man. I I believe that the assurance policy purchased by Mr. Bonney is in effect until the pistols rest in the possession of the purchaser. Is that not correct? You're not the buyer? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, sir, a price of $20,000 is a great deal too dear for me. Well, who is it, then, and where? A Mr. and Mrs. Jack Rollins' bride. Bride. Okay. Address? Uh, yeah, yes, I'll jot it down for you just a moment. Eight uh, Victoria. Drive. Yeah, there you are. It's a large on the left flank as you approach it from the east. I think I can find it. Now, give the pistons, bride, and tell them that either Mr. Bonney or myself will contact them at the earliest opportunity. All right, I'll get back to you by phone.
4: Good afternoon, sir.
1: I have a package to deliver to either Mister or Missus Bride. Are they at home?
4: Yes, sir. I'll take it to them. Well,
1: my instructions are to give it to them personally.
4: Who is it, Dean? A gentleman with a parcel for you, madam. My
1: name is Dollar. Are you Mrs. Bryan? Yes. Well, here are your pistols for Mr. Worthing.
4: But come in. Mr. Worthing, I don't understand.
1: Well, maybe your husband knows about it.
4: Yes, perhaps that.
2: Oh! Oh, no! Madam, What's oh, the matter? You can't! You can't! What's be... the matter, Mrs. Bryan? I swear, oh, <laughs> heavens, Estelle. <laughs> What's the trouble?
5: Who is this man? What's it?
2: oh. Uh,
1: uh, take Mrs. Bride to her room, Dean.
4: No, Jack. I want to know. What does it mean, Jack? What does
2: it mean? Be quiet, Estelle. I'll take care of this.
4: Uh, come <laughs> along, Mrs. Bride. I'll help you to your room and get you a bromide.
1: Now, what do you want? Now, I don't want anything but your signature on this paper, acknowledging your receipt of the pistols described therein. You'll get no signature from me. Yes. Let me see that. Hey, watch it, will you? Leonard Bonnie. He's here in America? That's what he said his name was. I brought the pistols from Hartford to a man named Arthur Worthing. He sent me to you. Who's Arthur Worthing? I took it that you knew one another. He's a dealer in antique weapons. Yes,
2: of course.
1: Get out of here. Take this fake form and take your pistols. Go back to your Mr. Worthing. Your bluff won't work. Now, listen to me. I don't believe that Bonnie is here. I don't think he's still alive. Now, get out of here! I didn't bother to argue with him because as far as I could see then, he was either terrified, crazy, or both. With the pistols, I took the shortest route back to Arthur Worthing's gun shop on Medford Street. I should have saved myself the anger I'd built up to let go at Worthing. The place was not only locked, it was empty of antique weapons. An Arthur Worthing sign had been replaced in the window by another which read, Office or store for rent. Inquire number 13 Groves building. I decided not to. <laughs> expense account item three, 70 cents, day letter to Tri-State reporting my lack of progress. And Expense account item four, same as item two, transportation back to Hartford. My phone was ringing when I unlocked the door of my apartment at 10 that night. Johnny Dollar.
5: Bill Carter, Johnny. Did I
2: interrupt something? I just got in.
1: Just came through the door.
2: That's crazy business in Boston. What do you make of it?
1: Well, the man called it blackmail, so I guess that's what it is. But what reason there was for using me, I don't get. Unless they figured Bride would get violent.
2: I've been trying to reach that Bonnie. He left a phone number.
1: What'd you get, the city pound? No, some woman with an accent so thick we can't understand each other. Oh, forget it. Bonnie just made it up. He was lying in his teeth about everything you have the pistols? Yeah, but not for long. I'm bringing them down to your vault in the morning. Good. Stop by my office. Uh, aren't
2: you curious about this thing?
1: No, not even intrigued. I don't want any part of it. That was only half true. I didn't want any part of it, but I was intrigued. Later, after a shower and over a highball, I took the pistols out of their case and looked them over. Except for the possibility that they were the tools of blackmail. I could find nothing to make them worth $20,000. But under a strong light, I did make out the name engraved on the barrel that I hadn't been able to read before. It was Bride, as in Mr. and Mrs. Jack Rawlins' Bride. And the date behind it was 1704. I wondered what there was about something out of the 18th century that could send a 20th century woman into hysterics. <laughs> The next day, I saw the pistols put under lock and key, started to work on another case, and tried to forget the whole thing. But I was reminded of it again by the caller who was waiting for me in the corridor outside my apartment that night, the bride's butler.
4: I hope you pardon my intrusion, sir. You must know why I've come. Well, I can guess. I shan't take up much of your time. But if I could just talk to you...
1: All right, we'll go inside.
4: Oh, thank you, sir. Now I'll stand, sir. Could you possibly give me the pistons, Mr. Dollar? No. But why not, sir?
1: Well, the main reason is I don't have them. Bride didn't seem to want them when I tried to give them to him.
4: Oh, but he did, sir. He bought of putting his signature on the form which described them. It would have become an admission that he had received them.
1: What's he afraid of?
4: I couldn't say, sir. He told me that he wouldn't be able to answer for the consequences if I failed to bring them back.
1: What does that mean?
4: Mr. Bride is a very violent and sudden man.
1: Look, I'm through with the case. I turned the guns back to the company that insured them, and he can get them by going down there and signing that release.
4: I beg of you, sir, get them tomorrow morning and give them to me. I can't. Possibly because they aren't there.
1: <gasps> it felt like a bee stick. Then I got a look at the vial his hand and the needle. His expressionless face watching me became diffused and was streaked with flashes of red. I tried to reach for the face, but it swirled away and out of sight. I took one stumbling step after it. That was the best I could do.
6: We will return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. But first, we Americans have a valuable heritage. A heritage of individual freedom that includes the freedom to worship as we wish at the church or synagogue of our own choice. By attending church regularly, we can gain the moral and spiritual strength to meet the many problems which confront us today. Help support your church and attend regularly with your family. Now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
4: You can do it now. You can do it. Yeah, you feel that? You can feel that all right, can't you? Come on now. You're all better now, aren't you? Mm. Now, hold on now. Don't slip away again.
2: Wake up. (coughs) (coughs) That's better.
1: I'm Mr. Bonnie, remember
2: me? Mm. Darling,
1: none of that. You're all right. I'll put you Mm. on your bed. You're in your flat.
2: Oh, well...
1: Where'd you come from? Oh, it's a good thing I came from somewhere. Oh. I've been playing touch and go with you since six o'clock. Uh, so First you'd come too, and then you'd go again. Which time what what time is it? Past nine. Yeah, you drink some of this. I uh, I looked for some tea, but I couldn't find any. I'm I'm not too handy at making coffee.
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, is
4: that hot enough? Oh. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Oh, well
1: what happened to you? I don't know. Dope. He jabbed me in the arm. Who was he, Freud? Oh, come on, leave me alone, will you? I'll help no you, don't. <clears throat> I've had enough of this. You stay awake. <clears throat> come on, now. That treatment went on for another 45 minutes. That and the coffee. From the bed, I could see that my apartment had been torn to pieces. I was too sick to be angry about it. And when I could sit up and put my feet on the floor... I realized without surprise that Bonnie's arm was no longer in a sling. In fact, there was a Webley automatic in his hand. Oh, that? Well, the surgeon said I wouldn't need the sling anymore. Oh, you are a lying. Now, stand up now. Come on. Did he get those pistols? Who? Bride. Right. Whoever it was tore up your flat looking woman. No, he didn't get them. And you aren't going to get them either. Oh, yeah, now, you've got a net on your shoulders. You use it. Where are they? You'll have to do more than wave that automatic around to get them. They're in a vault downtown. What do you want to share for yourself? Look, it was your idea to insure those things. Bride wouldn't receive them, and the company wants to protect them until he does. You must have known that. Why did you insure them? Well, it was Worthing's plan. I told him it was too tricky. You're in a fine mess now. I've got to take you to him. Why? I can't do anything. Don't you ask so many questions. You just come along. He gun-muzzled me out of my apartment and into a car. If I'd been in better shape, I might have been able to break away from him. But with my system still full of dope, I didn't have either the will or the energy for a try. I only half remember the trip... At the end of it was a shabby hotel with an earshot of the harbor in Boston.
4: It's Bonnie. I brought Mr. Dollar. Uh,
1: Capital, Bonnie. Capital. coming. in. Hey, you're white as a ghost, Mr. Dollar. Oh, you will. Yeah, and you don't help. They, uh, they put a needle into him trying to get the pistol. Oh, what a pity. What a pity. Sit down, sir. Sit down, please, by all means. Uh, did they get him? To... Well, he says no, and if he's telling the truth, we're in a mess. In a mess, Bunny. He says the pistols are locked up at the insurance company in Hartford. Well, now, is that the truth? I don't see why that should be hard to believe. Now, what do you say to that? I told you it wouldn't work. You and your complicated plans. Now we've lost the whole thing. Nonsense, Bunny. Nonsense. Why, actually, the pistols are of no consequence whatsoever. Well, they were important, right enough, in London when we first we talked about coming here with them. Of course they were, Bunny. But now they've served their purpose. The brides have seen them. You have spoken to them on the phone. It only remains for you to collect the money. The end of the path, Bunny. Well, I think we need. Well, Mister Dollar, it suddenly occurs to me that I have. And spilled the beans, as you yak so quaintly put it. I've told you the truth. I don't want to know the truth. Why don't you keep quiet, Worthing? That's a good idea. Until I get out of here, anyway. Bunny, stop him. Look, I have no place in this. Just leave me alone. Bunny, stop him. Or everything is lost.
4: All right, me Bucko, come on back. Guy,
1: get away from me. Come on, now.
4: you don't feel so good. I hate to make you feel. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: That's right now. Back in the chair. What do you want? You want me to know what's going on? I do. Blackmail. Yes, of the grossest sort, sir. We shall be handsomely paid by the bribes to keep secret a two-year-old murder of which they are guilty. I don't care. Why don't you keep quiet worthy? Well, Mr. Dollar. If you expect me to be surprised, I'll have to disappoint you. What else could it be? But why were you stupid enough to think that he'd sign that release? Yes, I shall have to admit that my sights were too high. But a signed admission... It was such a devilishly clever scheme, I was forced to have a try at it. And why keep me involved in it? Because you are a witness, so to speak. Now, be patient, sir. After being dragged into the lives of people I don't know and don't want to know, after being drugged and knocked around by your gunmen? Enough of that. And now, Bunny, the hour to strike has come. I will meet the brides. Here. Here. Oh, by the way, let me have your Webley. Well, what about me? You, at the same time, will be at the bride residence, waiting for them to return and make the initial payment of our $20,000. The contest is won, Barney. Oh, I hope you're right, Worthing. It's been a long one. Yes, it has. A splendid quest. He made a phone call to the brides and Barney left. Worthing concentrated on the Webley automatic while we waited, and I concentrated on my head. By the time the Brides arrived an hour later, I was almost able to stand without staggering. Well, 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 well. Mr. and Mrs. Bride, late of knowledge. Our paths at last crossed. Please, come in, come in. I am Arthur Worthing. You don't know me, but I assure you that you will. Oh, you remember Mr. Dollar? Yes, We should hardly forget him. You're not alone there. I'm afraid I have most distressing news for you, Mr. and Mrs. Bride. I shall be unable to make delivery since Mr. Dollar has gained possession of the pistols and steadfastly refuses to part with them. He is a veritable thorn in my side.
4: Do you expect sympathy from us, Mr. Worthing? Well,
1: indeed, I expect nothing of the sort... No more than your uncle, the Duke of Pembroke, would have expected from you had he known your true thoughts before you had him murdered. Are you lecturing, Worthing? You're planning to profit from the same death. Yes, quite a profitable death to everyone but the poor Duke. The estate fortune to the brides and to the others of us who nibbled at the edges, a small share. Even you, Mr. Dollar, earned a penny or two. Cut this short, will you? It's a little too thick for me. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Bride, you both understand the terms that Leonard Barney and I have decided upon... We, in turn, agree to maintain complete silence in regard to your part in the murder of the Duke of Pembroke between 6 and 7 p.m., 8 October 1948, at which time, according to knowledge shared by us, a killer hired by yourselves did shoot
5: said duke to death. How can we be sure if, as you tell us, Dollar refuses to give up the pistols? Mr. Dollar... Leave me
1: out of this. Hmm. An unfortunate situation, but one of minor importance... The theft of the pistols has become, according to your plans, the generally accepted motive for the murder, in view of their extreme value, and since they did indeed disappear. But who, who would correlate them to the true story?
4: Oh, Jack, we could never be sure.
1: Quiet sir.: My word will be kept. But, Bonnie, I would readily admit I do not know. The proof of your guilt lies with him, and he may decide that he needs more money one day. But the negotiations at hand... The cost to you, $20,000. 5000 to be paid tonight to Bonnie, who now awaits you at your residence. The rest within the next seven days.
4: Oh, I don't see how it's going to be possible.
1: Oh, come now. Surely, rather than sacrifice the gracious life the Duke's fortune is affording you... I don't
4: know. The time is so short.
1: We'll manage it still. There uh, must be a way. We have the 5000 Bunny Bonnie will be waiting for What's... you.
4: Now Mr. Dollar has heard the story. What good is buying your silence? But first he knows, and then someone else knows, and someone else... I got it! In
1: heaven's name, Bride, do you want the police to descend upon us? Then we all would be lost. All but Leonard Bunny.
2: I'm going to the police. I want them to know. Stop
1: it, Estelle. Take her now and go meet Bunny. Come along,
5: Estelle. Go home.
1: Convince her, Bride, that there is no reason to fear Dollar's knowledge. I have my own plans for him. Worthing's success made him careless. Calling his orders to the bride, he was a quarter turn away from me. As soon as the door closed, I moved. As far as I was concerned, it was a toss-up between being a good citizen and phoning the police or using my head and leaving. I decided on a compromise, an anonymous report. I leaned over him to double-check his name and started through his pocket. His inside coat pocket gave me a week-old receipt for the weapons with which he dressed up his phony gun shop. His wallet held some money but no identification. I patted the side coat pockets. They were cluttered with the usual men's debris and nothing else. But I patted the empty pockets again and down at the bottom of the right one, I felt a thin rectangular object. It was inside the coat lining. I got my fingers into the seam and ripped. Good. The object was a card set into a plate of transparent plastic. It said, "Arthur T. Worthing, Inspector C.I.D., Scotland Yard." Oh, the devil. Hey, hey, Inspector Worthing. huh?? Uh, uh, oh, oh I, I, I say that that that, that was rather. Here, here, try some of this. Thank you. Well, I, I must say that you're an extraordinary ally, Mr. Dollar. It would help, you know, if your allies knew they were allies instead of pigeons. you want to try and get up? Uh, not yet, I think. A vicious pummeling. But more about that later. Suffice it to say that I have been posing as a blackmailer for so long that I scarcely know what I am myself. I couldn't shed my disguise in front of you until the final details were arranged. What is this approach of yours? Approach, sir. This crazy scheme. Here, come on. Take my hand. Thank you. Not crazy, sir. Intricate, perhaps, but I did obtain a confession, didn't I? With you as a witness. During the investigation in England, no effort was enough to swerve the brides from their story of the murder. I had to turn criminal to meet them on a common level and gain the truth. And uh, did you have in mind stopping the brides before they commit another murder or after? That's an odd question, sir. Oh no, no, not since this is making sense. Not since you baited bride with the idea that Bonnie was the only one that could prove them guilty of murder. Impeccable truth, Mr. Dollar, since it was Bonnie they hired to commit their crime. If the brides were apprehended at the scene immediately after they had murdered that miserable little cutthroat Leonard Bonnie... Well, then, they'd be hard-pressed to find a valid reason for not confessing to the original murder of the Duke, would they not now? I think you softened soften the wife up to the point where she'd spill. Yes, my job. I believe you've hit the nail squarely on the head. We'll phone the police to go there. I think you hit the same nail on the head when you palled up with Bonnie and talked him into coming over here with blackmail in mind. Yes, yes, you're right. This has been a personal matter. The Duke of Pembroke was my friend. As I said, nothing could be done in England, so here I am. Unofficially, of course. I suggest now that I phone the police, don't you? Here our driver. Keep it.
4: Uh, thank you, sir. And good night, you.
1: Good night, young man. Ah, no sign of the police, Dullard. They'll arrive quietly. We'd better get up to the house dropped our cab a few yards down from the bright address. When we got there, we took the driveway. There was a light in a room I'd spotted the last time I was there, a library. We angled off toward it, but before we reached it, a look I tossed over my shoulder stopped me. Behind us in the street, I could see a swarm of uniformed figures slipping silently toward us. They were close, but not close enough.
4: Talbot, take three men and cover the All right, if you're All right, come on, you Let's go
1: the, right. the inspector got what he wanted. The murder of the gunman, Bonnie, and the arrest of the brides. Justice is supposed to move in straight, formal lines. When that kind misfires... I guess it's cricket to go devious. He brought a victim as well as a motive clear across the Atlantic to set up the playoff scene. Expense account item five, same as number two, transportation back to Hartford. Item six, miscellaneous. You'll have to admit I deserve something for what I went through $150. Expense account total, $365.35. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
6: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Ben Wright, Bill Conrad, Dick Ryan, Jeanette Nolan, Dan O'Herlihy, and Tyler McVeigh. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> This is Bob Lamond inviting you to join us next week at this time when we will again bring you Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny
1: Dollar.
5: Every Saturday night, Americans from coast to coast play Sing It Again. Do you? Well, if you don't, you don't know the fun and excitement you're missing. Not to mention radio's largest cash award if you can name the Phantom Voice. There's music on Sing It Again. Music with Alan Vail, Bob Howard, Judy Lynn, the Riddlers, Ray Block, and his orchestra. There are contestants from all over America formed by Dan Seymour. And there are prizes. Prizes galore, plus that special jackpot prize we mentioned earlier. So stay at home. Play at home on Saturday nights when over many of these same CBS stations, Dan Seymour says, It's Sing It Again. Stay tuned now for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. If you met a stranger on the street who offered to give you $4 for three, you'd be pretty skeptical. But when Uncle Sam makes the same offer, you can take him up on it and be sure you're getting a square deal. By investing your money in United States savings bonds, you'll get that extra dollar profit when the bonds mature. Buy your bonds through the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond-a-month plan where you bank. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Welcome back. It actually translates over pretty well. Though there's a lot of changing of lines and of who says things and even a few story details. It really, I think on paper, is a bit of a stretch to have Johnny Dollar essentially... Uh, playing glorified delivery boy at the behest of insurance uh, agency. But they do enough work to make it uh, justified within the context of the episode. The thing that did stand out to me is that the writer, Gil Dowd, must have really loved that line about pistols having killed many people and many people being killed for it because he used it in this script, but entirely different context. Uh, in the uh, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, it was a warning and implied threat to Philip Carney. In this episode, it was just a throwaway line, but he was determined that, hey, I'm going to use this line. One thing I I think Voyage of the Scarlet Queen did get better is I, I think that just the sound design on when... Uh, the inspector uh, went down, was better handled on Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Otherwise, this works okay, even though it is a bit of a tough fit for Johnny Dollar. I think particularly the idea that an insurance inspector would be called in on this. It, in some ways, it does make sense to you know bring in someone like a sea captain who doesn't have a ton of procedures and red tape as opposed to someone who works for the insurance company, and definitely does. Still, I think they did as good a job as possible to justify it, and it's an interesting uh, take. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well as the last one. Uh, If you like the idea of this, uh, uh, please do uh, let me know at box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, it's something I would consider doing again for uh, one of these listener support slash appreciation specials, but I'd rather avoid doing things that people uh, don't care much for. Either way, we'd love to hear your feedback on this uh, particular setup. All right, I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day now. Thank you to Judith, one of our Patreon supporters since March 2016, currently supporting us at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. Well, join us back here on Monday tomorrow for Casey Crime Photographer. Next Sunday, we should have an episode of Public Domain Video Theater for you. In the meantime, though, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. facebook Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.